You're listening to Red Nation Online. Like this time, she's not going to pull it away. It looks like I'm finally going to get to kick that football. After all these years, I'm going to get to kick that football! Saturday, April 20th, it's Red Nation's own Steve Botcher and I'm Ian Clark, and we're back from another, another late collapse this time with feeling as TFC dropped two more points in a 1-1 draw with the Houston Dynamo. All eyes are on Darren O'D as he set up the final corner kick, but we think this game slipped through the cracks well before. We go over the game, looking at Robert Earnshaw's chances, how Toronto couldn't put away a 10-man Dynamo, and the Voyager's Cup is finally here. Five in a row? We discuss it all in the next 30 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. I didn't know. I, I don't know how to uh, how to sort of uh, approach this. Do we call it? Do we call it a curse? Have, have have we had anyone check to make sure that exhibitions aren't over burial ground? Uh, you know, is it a curse? The curse of Mo is another one I'm trying to think of, where overpaying players from the UK come back to haunt us. <laughs> it's it's kind of inexplicable. Inexplicable. You know, I I might even suggest let's get rid of Bitchy. You know, is there one overriding thing and it's it's Bitchy has been at every game. You know, he was down in the stands today and <laughs> Did you see I, that? I wouldn't dare sit in the seat next there and eat a hot dog. <laughs> that was going to be a sight and sound and you kick it off with it. Do you see this at the start of the game? I did. He was right in front of the press box. <laughs> At least we can start this podcast off laughing. That was a gem. I was going to be the sight and sound at the end of it, but we might as well kick it off where Bitchy's handler goes out to bring him on the thing and he just says, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to go chill out in section 222 and stretch my legs. Flies away, sits down there. And it's, you know, the other thing too was I'm looking for omens now, looking for omens around the stadium. And that might've been it. Bitchy just avoiding the, avoiding his ring. It's a bad scene at the start of the game. I think so. I mean, you've got these American teams coming into BMO Field, and then you, you've got this hawk overlooking things. I think change it up, change Bitchy out, bring in a beaver. A beaver, a goose. A, Maybe hang Canada in. goose, yeah. Yep. You know, let's get some Canadiana in there. Yeah, and I don't think you'll get any, any arguments with that. Um, <laughs> but Steve, you know what, I think we can, we can run through the game, we can talk about the talking points, but, you know, I'd be, I'd be remiss to not pick your brain because obviously you just came from you know, the presser, you, you have the access and all that stuff about what's going on, what they're saying, I guess, behind closed doors from a supporter's perspective. You know, what's the message coming out of there from today? Well, you know, it was, it was glum in the TFC dressing room and, uh, and Nelson looked more gutted than usual, but there's still a change in tone from, from last year. And um, I still like Nelson and I, I, I think he's on the right track. No one was backing down from the fact that there was a, another late game collapse but you know i know steve perry's not on, on the podcast this week but I, I think if there was a theme song for post-match it would be journeys don't stop believing <laughs> so for the most part the emphasis from from uh, nelson was you know we we played against a team that was in the mls cup finals last year they're sitting on a 35 game unbeaten streak at home this is a good team and uh 
we dominated them and were better for 93 minutes. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the referee awarded one more minute of, uh, of added time and that was enough to, uh, sink the ship. Yeah. There's some, I think there's some in- interesting things to pull from that. I mean, you look at the last sort of three games where we've drawn, uh, or had late game collapses, the LA galaxy game, the Dallas game, Philadelphia. And of course this feels completely different than all those, you know, as much as I think we were gutted against LA and Philadelphia, LA was sort of the first game we felt this year we might have won a game. So that might have, people might have let that slide. And of course, it's LA, you know, big, pretty much the biggest team in the league. They won the MLS Cup. So there's that. And then, of course, Dallas was first overall in their last game. Yeah. You know, and now you're, you're, you're at Houston. It's an interesting thing. Um, Nelson's talked about, you know, how hard their schedule is to, uh, to start the season. They're playing a lot of good teams. But really, if you look at the MLS, there's no easy marks. I mean, I'm, I was looking at the schedule, and it looks like the first easy mark they're going to get is, is is New England. They've got the Red Bulls coming up, Montreal. There's no easy marks in this league, so every game is tough, and they're they're finding that out. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, we're Toronto FC. We're always looking up. I mean, that's that's just the truth. Like, I mean, there's very few teams that are in our realm. We're at the bottom of the barrel, and we're, and we're trying to work our way up. There's just, and you know, what was actually disappointing. I looked at the schedule last week. And we don't play Colorado at home this season. And that is a guaranteed win. That's one guaranteed win that's out the window because Colorado has only ever lost at BMO Field. So there's a game that we could have circled and said, well, at least we have three points here. But, uh, you know, here we are sitting in, you know, end of April. Depending on how you want to look at this glass, you know, we've dropped six points. You know, in the last two games, there could have been six. We're sitting on two. In the grand scheme of things, you know, is it just a matter of we'll take what we can get, or is or we, or do you think there is there is a legitimate? Because you know, I'm before you came here, I've had some time. Usually, we're straight. I'm straight on the podcast, but you know, I'm flicking through Twitter, going on email, watching the replays, things like that, and you're seeing a pretty unanimous voice out there, just pretty gutted, pretty gutted, like that whole thing where pe- most people are like, ah, oh, well, you know, at least, nah, it's it seems quite. At least today, unanimous that it was like, wow, this was this one hurts quite a bit. It hurts, and I've been accused of uh, of drinking the Kool Aid too much and and being too positive about this team. But I think if we look at the game as a whole, there there were plenty of positives. And the main thing I want to highlight is is I think the context that these performances need to be looked at isn't just in the late game collapses. It's comparing it to what we were watching and what we were seeing under Paul Mariner at the end of last year. At the end of last year, I didn't even want to watch the games. And the team was not competitive. And there was a terrible atmosphere around the game. The post-game press conferences were pretty much Mariner calling out his players and and, and, and blaming them and, and uh, you know, just throwing people under the bus. That's not the case now. They've been in c- competitive in every match. I think they're on the right track. You know, they're, they're a rebuilding team. A couple of players from... Uh, Argentina would have helped today. I yeah. think there's a there's a little bit of a, of a deficit in in certain areas on the pitch. Uh, we also forget the injuries that they were suffering suffering through. Richard Eckersley is out. Daryl Russell is out. Um, had a very young Terry Dunfield's out. Terry Dunfield is out. Terry Dunfield, another player who uh, I get accused of drinking the Kool Aid, but I think we've seen that he's hey. been missing the last three games, and there has been a difference. Terry he, Dunfield's a friend on Eastside Stand Up. Let me tell you that we got nothing bad to say about him here. At least I don't. Yeah, and I think I think they're I think they're missing Terry. You know, it's people go on and on that uh, he doesn't bring enough going forward and whatnot. But uh, 
you know, the last three games haven't been the pro- the problem hasn't been scoring goals. The problem has been uh, preventing goals. And I think he adds experience. He adds something in the midfield there, and and they've been missing that. So I'm, you know, let me then kick that to you, Steve, because you've already started talking about it. Where, you know, what do you think? What do you think it is that's that's needed in in from this last little window of games? Is it an increase in quality, bringing in new players, or you know, because we're looking at again a relative overhaul of the team? I wouldn't say a complete overhaul like we saw under Precky and like we saw under uh, Aaron Vinter, but you know, you see maybe you know half of that starting lineup is is changed over from last year. Uh, is it a matter of these guys just coming together and Nelson figuring out still what his best 11 is? Or, you know, some of the players that were missing, you know, if Eckersley's back in that game, does that make enough of a difference? If Dunfield's back in the game, does that make a difference? Or again, do we just need Yerudi and, and Laba on the field? Uh, th- they'll certainly help. And it's going to be interesting to see if if, uh, if those deals actually come to fruition. I'm going to be a little bit different here. Everyone's looking at it as, you know, a, a set of three games, but every game is different. We look at this game, and if Eckersley and, and Russell had been out there instead of um, Richter and Emery, who I both thought played quite well, a very young back line today, maybe that doesn't happen at the end. Uh, last week, there was the, uh, you know, the, the sending off of Ashton Morgan, which was really a poor decision by the referee. And again, does that back post... Uh, you know, left undefended if you have a full complement of 11 men. I don't know. And then there was, Nelson called the game against LA that it was just a bad bounce that went uh, directly to the LA player who uh, who then scored a, you know, a pretty fantastic goal. So, you know, sometimes in football, it's, um, you, you need to get a bounce and a bounce to go your way. I don't think they're getting the bounces going their way. The problem and probably the big frustration for, for Nelson and the team is that the, these three results have happened within the context of what everybody has saw last year and the years before. So I think from a mental standpoint, if they could just pull one of these out, it would be it would do a whole lot of good. Yeah. One thing that I would say is, uh, you know, maybe two things to add to this as we're, we're going through this part of the season is, you know, two expressions come to mind where it's either, you know, you have to be good to be lucky and maybe Toronto's just not very good yet. You know, when you're talking about those bounces that, that happened to other teams and not yet has, but also, you know, there's the other expression, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. And that's another one too, that, you know, the more me this team comes together as I'm reaching back on this, you know, still new faces coming in six weeks, six games, even two months when you're playing against a team like Houston, where the core of that team's been together for two years. You know, you have a coach who's been on that team for almost for its entire existence. That's something I think you can't overlook and you can't forget that. And that's a lot of cases for a lot of teams Toronto's playing is they haven't quite had this dysfunction and and the overhaul that we've seen with Toronto year after year. I think that's an important point. That's one thing that that Toronto's never had. How many players have they filtered through? How many coaches? I say, you know, let's give this team some time. I, I don't think anyone can look at these matches and say they haven't been competitive, they haven't been working hard. Uh, certainly, there's there are still pieces that need to be added. But uh, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of good things from this team, and uh, you know, I I think they're on the right track. Yeah. So let's kind of go through this game then, Steve, a bit because it's what time is it now? We're about an hour, we're almost two hours after the game. I'm still thawing out. I'm still kind of feeling it in my bones. It was cold. A couple of weeks ago, I made a joke to Steve Perry how it was a classic April fixture at BMO Field, and he was sort of didn't understand what I was getting at. But I think if he was there today, he would know what I'm saying. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just try to put those games behind me. I'm thinking of, of course, the Seattle home opener. There was that game against Chicago where we went 4-1 where this, the weather was brutal. Today was like, I think it was up there. Whereas like how cold it was, I mean, it, it wasn't even the first half. And I just was like, man, 
I don't know if I can last through this game or maybe I just wasn't dressed as warm as I did in those ones. I don't know. But that was something that I think coming into this game, you're talking about the Houston Dynamo. You're looking about how this matchup is going to play out being Toronto and Houston. Of course, you see Houston 35 games on beat net in Houston. Toronto looking a little better at home. Houston two games in a row losing on the road. The opportunity was there. And some people, of course, are saying the weather is going to factor into the game, which I think I just something about it, I'm like, no, nah, I don't buy that at all. But I think in the first half, I think it did play a factor in the game. I don't think Houston looked comfortable at all out there. I thought they looked really, I don't know, maybe just, I think it's actually sometimes when you see Houston come to Toronto, there's been some examples of them coming here and just kind of feeling out the game for long stretches and just being happy to knock it around and not bring the pressure. Yeah, they didn't look particularly comfortable. And you would think that uh, that, that might be an advantage that Toronto could have played to and that you know, all the English players that we've uh, we've brought over w- would be used to it. First half was an interesting one. I thought both teams had had some some decent chances, and uh, you know, it was it was it was quite a good game. But you know, neither team was clearly playing for for a draw, or um, maybe they're all running around and pushing forward because they're trying to keep warm. I don't I don't know, but uh, fairly even first half. And then I thought uh, you know, Toronto was the, clearly the better team in the second half until you know the last minute mistake. Yeah, in the first half, I there was one thing I wanted to highlight was, you know, through the week, we're hearing some interviews and some talk from Robert Earnshawny. I think he's been saying this up to almost two weeks ago, where he was saying, you know, I want, which is, a, I find it a kind of a strange comment. I understand where he's getting at with it, where he's saying, I want more chances to miss. Or I want to be missing chances, because that means I'm getting chances. He missed a few today. <laughs> That's what I was going to get at. I mean, the fifth, the fifth minute, almost right off the start, you watched, now I saw it from where I was in the stands, and I watched the replay from the opposite angle. And I mean, he had, that far side, wide open. He just had to curl it in. Uh, and that was a gorgeous chance. And then, of course, in the 39th minute, he had that play where, again, on the, on our side of the field, it looked like the ball went in, but it hit the side net. And, you know, those were two great chances that he had in the first 45 minutes. We hit the halftime. And one of the matchups, I think, between Houston and Toronto that's, that's, that I was also looking at was the battle on the midfield. And Houston, who has a pretty solid one with, like, Moffitt, uh, Brad Davis, uh, Ricardo Clark, and and Garcia. If that's their if their full players are out there, I mean that's the midfield where we, we would have been stacked up against, and that's daunting because I think that's been with Terry Dunfield out. That's been one of the toughest areas for Toronto to kind of work into the game instead of just sending that long ball from the back line over. Uh, but the forty five at forty five minutes, Brad Davis goes out, and they sub it in, and there now like I'm seeing this as a huge opportunity for Toronto. And I'm not sure they totally took advantage of it. Davis had had a quiet game until that point. And, um, you know, that may have been the cold that maybe, you know, he tweaked something, something running around in the cold and, you know, coming from Texas wasn't, wasn't used to that weather. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't very influential up to that point. So, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say whether, uh, we've certainly seen him turn it on in the second half of games and played, played a part in, all those various Houston comebacks that we've seen in the past. So, you know, getting a player of that quality off the pitch is, is never a negative, negative if you're uh, for the team he's playing against. Yeah. And I wonder if it's a coincidence that, I mean, what I saw out there was right at the half. So Davis goes out, I saw Louis Silva kind of come alive and all of a sudden Toronto started playing in the middle of the field, a little bit more than just out on the wings. You know, the face of the game changes, of course, leading up to the opening goal. But also at the same time, you know, who he came off and, and who scored the uh, 
the the, the tying goal. Fair enough. Fair it, enough. it was Krivel. So maybe if uh, if Davis had stayed stayed in there till the end, uh, that wouldn't have happened. It's you know that's just the uh, the chess match of the game. You know, it's it's interesting to watch. You you saw Earnshaw with all those chances. You would have thought he would have been the one to uh, to score to score a winner, and uh, you know you would have thought Davis would have been in on anything that Houston would have gotten. Instead, we had these two defensive midfielders both popping in the goals, and uh, you know Jeremy Hall with what was, you know, just a seeing eye goal. There, it was uh, shocking. Yeah, and you know we should give Jeremy Hall a little bit of props. You know, one reason was he gets the man of the match, and if you're looking at the screen, he looks like he's going to cry. I mean, he didn't. His face was just stone. Didn't want to touch the thing. Didn't even care. Didn't want to be there for the photos. I mean, we've seen this. Truthfully, we see this a lot after games because a lot of these guys winning the man of the match are on a losing end or, or a gutting tie. Rarely is it a win. And, you know, there's a couple of plays. I mean, that fifth minute chance from Earnshaw was by a beautiful through ball from Jeremy Hall. I mean, threading it through to getting him into that corner of the box. Great vision. You know, Hall gets a lot of knocks. And today, you know, there's going to be points where maybe he doesn't doesn't do the best passes and doesn't link up exactly well. But I saw him, of course, on that pass. I saw him breaking up some plays. And then the goal was nice because he kind of, he changed directions and fed it, un, like, you know, fed it from his left foot underneath to his right foot. The goal was really nice. And it's just like, you know, there's there's certain guys out there that are on the periphery of that, you know, real lockdown starting 11 guy that you kind of want to see them have a good day and have a good game. And I think this was one for him. Yeah, post-match, uh, Nelson highlighted uh, two players that he thought did really well. Two players that uh, that were returning players from last year. And and one was Jeremy Hall. And he can't seem to have enough good things to say about him. He really likes him, and he really likes him in that role as a central midfielder. Uh, the other player who he, uh, he had nothing but positives to uh, to say was, uh, was Reggie Lamb. And he's a player I've been... Uh, very hot and cold on during his time with TFC. Um, you know, with the weather the way it was today, really probably more so cold than anything. But uh, he was great today too, running at players and uh, very active. And, um, you know, I thought his work ethic and everything he brought to the game today was a little bit incongruous, congruent, you know, when you compare <laughs> what you, the impression you might get from following his Twitter account. But uh, <laughs> it's clear these guys are playing for Ryan Nelson, that they are adopting his character in terms of the fight, in terms of of um, the spirit, in terms of the energy that they're bringing to the game. It's very reminiscent of the way Ryan Nelson played the game. Yeah, and then moving on from that goal, I think, of course, the next pivotal point is at 61st minute, you know, we see this long ball over top that springs Earnshaw 1v1 with Jermaine Taylor. I, I watched the replay from where you would have been, and you can't really see it, but from where I was on the West Stand, it was clear as day. That Earnshaw had him beat, he was going to get by him, and then the arm comes up to stop him from getting past. To me, that was a like there was no there was no debate about it. It looked like Houston was trying to trying to make some some something out of it, but he goes down. And then this for me is the point where Toronto often isn't presented with this, you know, a clear chance to kind of overtake a game. And even though they looked good just after that, I think they took their foot off the pedal as much as. Um as Nelson was lamenting uh, the goal they conceded in the what was it the 93rd minute, he was also equally um, frustrated with the fact that they didn't score chance number two, chance number three, chance number four. He was really emphasizing how much they dominated that game and really how they should have 
as much as as conceding the goal was was a factor, there's also the fact they didn't take their chances against ten men, and uh, and put the game away. He also highlighted the fact that uh, he didn't necessarily see TFC gaining an advantage when uh, they got the red card and they went down to ten men. He thought TFC maybe you know took their foot off the pedal a little bit, got a little bit comfortable. You know we've got a lead, they're down to ten men, and then boom, you know the, the, a wounded wounded animal came back and uh, and bit them in the end. Yeah, because I think all the talk now and even what's going on is going to be about Darren O'D. But I feel like that stretch leading up to that was is just as critical in the, in this result as O'D. Because, you know, it's easy to pile on a player and point the finger at one person. But I think a lot of the players and a lot of the, you know, the team, there was a point in that stretch too where I could see Hogan Ephraim really getting riled up and really kind of yelling at the players. And I think he sensed that the way that they're approaching this last third of the game was off. And then he started he started running all over from both sides of the field, calling for the ball to try to make something happen. He gets a lot of a lot of stick. But I think on this day, he has some nice balls swung in from the left side. And I feel like he has a little more he just today especially, he sensed more something was amiss and tried to change the direction and tried to change the tone of that last stretch of the game. Yeah, I mean, people have been perplexed as to why he's kept his spot in the starting eleven under Nelson. But I think attitude and uh, and experience and and what you've just mentioned is something that that Nelson values, and and he showed why he's he's still in the lineup. Whereas you know, a John Bostock has has been benched for the last couple of games. Uh, when you br- when you bring up the idea of a curse, though, I mean, who would have thought you have a, you go into this game? We've, they've got injuries. You got a backline with um, with Galley, Ryan Richter. Logan Emery making his first appearance of the season, and uh, and 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 who was the defender that was you know kind of responsible on the goal? It was Darren O'D, and I thought he did a fantastic job shepherding that back line until that point. So you know it does make you wonder. And I want to add one other little thing to the Darren O'D uh, you know nugget at the end of the game was that there was another play at the 86th minute that at that point we were all applauding as it was very clever. Right when Logan Emery, who also had a, a pretty good, you know, return game, if you want to call it. I mean, he's pretty much been MIA since last year, you know, goes down to the injury and he's lying on the touchline. So it's if he goes out, then the game continues. But Darren O'Dea comes over and rolls him onto the field, which adds injury time to the end of the game. And I'm looking at that now, looking back and saying, hmm, you know, if he had to let the game just keep going, would it have been two minutes extra time? Would have been less, you know, something like that as well. Like I'm just like, hmm, maybe it just wasn't. <laughs> it just was a bad day for him. After like, you know, I guess you could say for sure the first six games of the season have been been pretty steady. Yeah, sometimes you, uh, you know, it's in, like we said, it's an interesting chess match, and sometimes you think you're doing the right thing, and it ends up being being the wrong thing. And uh, maybe it was just the curse of bitchy. <laughs> so. Here we are sitting, Steve. Uh, I mean, I don't even, at this point, we've said this last week. I mean, I don't even look at the table right now. You know, you're just kind of looking at how these results are going and trying to measure how this team is moving along. And at one point of, of during this game, I don't even know if we were actually winning at the point, but I was looking at the, the nature of the game, the nature of the play. And uh, as we're looking ahead to the Voyagers Cup game on Wednesday, I started thinking, yeah, maybe this team, you know, I was kind of, I think Montreal's the team. I think this is going to be their year again. And then Toronto's playing this game. And I'm like, you know what? No, I think, I think we've got the confidence that we could probably 
they could come here and we can do well. But then the game ends the way it does, and I flip-flop back uh, to the other side. You know, I want to look ahead, Steve, and start getting some some talking points about this Voyager's Cup and what your thoughts are uh, going into this year's tournament. I don't think you can ever, you know, count TFC out when it comes to the Voyager's Cup. They've won it at times when they really had no business doing so. Um, like any cup competition, I think anyone can take it. I think most people are assuming that FC Edmonton isn't going to win it. Vancouver, there's something, there's a strange feel around that team. You know, most people based on, on paper might say that they, they should have been the favorite this year. And, you know, Toronto, would you'd think they would be the third favorite out of the four teams. Montreal, it's going to be interesting to see how the the, 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 the two bye weeks that they've had. They've had so little action that they they may even be a little bit rusty. So... Again, I think that Ryan Nelson has these guys motivated. I think they'll be hard back at work. And I th- I think that they'll, they'll bounce back. I don't see this game destroying their confidence to the point where they're not going to come out and deliver just as co- a competitive performance against Montreal. You know, we saw them dominate Montreal in the second half at Olympic Stadium in the uh, the first match that the two teams have played this year. So they can also take some some confidence from that as well. You know, I think where there's going to be a mental block, and this will happen in both the uh, the league games and in in the Voyagers Cup, is if they're going one up one nothing going into the into injury time, and you know, then they're going to be like, oh, everyone's going to be like, well, what the hell is going to happen now? Um, you know, if they can pot a couple of goals and have a comfortable league going into the end, then then uh, you know, that's a whole different story. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing. If we think back to last year when Montreal came to BMO Field, I mean, Toronto went down to ten men and ended up winning that game. Uh, so the the opportunity is obviously there, but there's also something where it was like, I don't know, this last two years in the in the Voyagers Cup, it was like Toronto was just such a group of misfits that they just the way they were played and something about you know they it was just set up for them to be able to pull it off in that. Whereas in the league, they just looked terrible. This year, I have this weird feeling that because the team is starting to look a little more on track, that I feel like that's going to get reversed. Just something about it just isn't, you know, last year I could almost in a cocky manner be like, yeah, we're still going to win it. And they'd be like, why? I'd be like, because it's just what we do. We can't win in the league. We can't look good in the league. Yet the Voyagers Cup, Montreal and Vancouver will dispose both of them. I, I just have this weird sense. But again, coming into it, like, a, like you said, I don't think wherever Toronto's sitting, they can be discounted going into this year's tournament. It's really interesting. And I don't, I don't disagree with the feeling that you're getting. A couple of things, you know, that might push it in that direction is um, I do think Montreal is obviously much better than last year. They've definitely got some quality last year. They were an expansion team trying to find their way. I think now they're a very cohesive team and, um, you know, they're well-placed to to do well in the tournament. The other thing is I don't know if I... Ryan Nelson always says the right thing, regardless of what the topic is and, and what you ask him, but I don't necessarily get the impression that he... He values the uh, the Voyagers Cup so much. People say we're out to win every game. We we're you know we're a Canadian team and we we definitely want to win that championship. But he's also talked about you know squad rotation and playing guys that that have seen limited minutes or haven't played much at all. So it's going to be very interesting to see what lineup he puts out there on Wednesday. I do feel like with um, him as a former MLS player, you know, and Kevin Payne coming from DC United, that they're their focus is still on the league and wanting Toronto to look better in the league. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think most TFC fans would would be happy to see Toronto go out of the Canadian Championship this year if they could do better in the league and maybe even 
scratch out one of those final playoff spots. Yeah, I think that was the next thing that started like percolating in my head that to talk about was where where do you think the tournament lies in priorities this year? I mean, a lot of people would have I think this year is is just different than other years. You know, when Precky came on, he just bluntly kind of said, I don't care about this tournament. You know, I, I just care about the league and everyone not everyone. People got their hands up kind of saying like, whoa, 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 you know, we want to win this. This is important for us to be the champions of Canada. And as you said, Ryan Nelson and Kevin Payne might agree with that, but at least they won't be as blunt as Precky would have been. But I think this year, some people might say they want, you know, they want it all. You want the playoffs and you want the tournament. But it, there is a tinge of, of realism that needs to be placed in it as well, where, you know, I'm looking at a lot of young players on the team. Chris and I talked about this last week saying, maybe this this is a tournament where you say, Get in some of these young guys. Let Ashton Bennett have a go. Let Taylor Morgan have a go. You know, get Logan Emery back out there if he's if he's fit, and and say, this is for you guys. You know, prove to me what you've got, and if you keep winning, then you're going to keep getting a starting position in these games, and that might be a little tinge of motivation for them as well as the squad rotation you're talking about. Yeah, remember that that the general philosophy that we've been hearing from Nelson in pain and pain is that it's not just about this year. It's about building, you know, a long-term winning tradition. And part of of the building process is seeing what these guys have. So, you know, if you never play them, you're never going to see what you have and they're never going to grow from the experience of playing in in meaningful games. So, um I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of those players. I think um part of that is also necessitated by the by the injuries. But it, I think Nelson also has a lot of confidence in these young players and 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 I think he's doing a good job nurturing them because we saw we've seen, you know, guys he didn't expect to play much. Ryan Richter's come in; he's had a couple of gig, good games. Uh, Logan Emery, you know, had some rough games last year, um, and he came in. I thought he 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 looked good today. So you know, he's bringing along these guys slowly, and um, I don't think it is out of the realm of the possibility that uh, he could play some of these young guys, and Toronto could still do well in the Canadian Championship. Right. And one thing I will say about Ryan Richter and and even Darren O'Dea is. Only two on the field wearing short sleeves. I think that has to be noted, well, in their character, that these two guys were the only ones that seemed to be able to handle this cold weather. Everyone else was wearing long sleeve and mitts today. Yeah, it's interesting. And also, uh, you know, Ryan Richter, I, I believe, is coming from Carolina. He probably didn't even have a, a winter jacket before he joined Toronto FC. <laughs> but uh, I think getting in out of that, Steve, we pretty much wrapped up this game. You know, we have Montreal midweek. And then we're going, we're hosting New York Red Bulls. It's a tough stretch for Toronto. I don't want to, you know, circle back and I want to try to finish it positive. So thankfully you're here today because it is a tough stretch that we're looking at. And as I've said, you know, we aren't grinding through the calendar, but you still do count up the points. You still have to look at this as the season goes on, you know, what might have been a lot of drop points when New York's going to be coming to town who are looking to really get their season on track. You know, we're looking at San Jose coming up. We're going on the road to Colorado. All tough places to play. I'm just wondering, or, or uh, the question I'm trying to think to you is, you know, where can we, where do you think we can make up points, or what do you think the goal should be through that stretch? Nelson had an interesting comment after uh, the game. He was asked if he thought this stretch of games, you know, a, a busy schedule, uh, following on, on some games where where they dropped some points, if this stretch of games was going to define their season. And I thought he had a pretty good answer. He said, no, that's not going to define our season. What defines his team and what defines is going to define their season is the work they put on every day, the work they put on into getting better, the work they put into improving 
the work they put into becoming the team that he wants them to be and that the organization is envisioning. So, you know, we knew it was going to be a tough slog for for Toronto this year to make the playoffs. We've touched on how how hard the schedule is and just how there really aren't any easy marks. So as I watch this team, I'm just looking for them to get better as the season goes along. And I think that, and you know, and then we've seen anything can happen in MLS if they get on on a hot streak. Um, you know, you never know what they what they could squeeze out. Yeah, you know what? And one thing I'll add to that, I'll add the positive spin was the news. Obviously, yesterday I think it was the day before was that Danny Coverman's has started training with the team. Looks like he's starting to run. And I wanted to say that you know they're saying, well, this define your season in his first year as a coach. You know, as Kevin Payne's first year as the president. You know, looking back on 2011, for example, where the team grew as the season went on, they made those August additions to the team in terms of Covermans and Frings. I don't think we'll see anything quite like that. But a few pieces added, if this team rolls forward and finishes the season with you know winning games at home and, and turning these draws into wins, uh, I think that will define the season. I mean, of course, the season it goes until the end of October, so... To say that this will be defined now, I think, is a bit ludicrous, especially when you put the team in context. Yeah, and looking at the positives, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm like Rob Ford at a KFC or anything like that, but the, the, you know, I'm positive from what I saw today, just based on the switch to, you know, a four-four-two. Take a look at that lineup. Think if you're adding, um, you know, Alaba in the midfield, and then think of having Danny Coverman's paired up front with Robert Earnshaw instead of Justin Braun. You know, you're looking at, at something that has the potential to be to ve- be very potent. As you said, that is, that's huge news. If, uh, if uh, you know, Covermans is coming along well and he can get back to the point where he was anything like he was when he was, he was on fire last year after the, after the coaching change. You know, we, Earnshaw, was, you know, he, we joke, he missed some chances today and, and, and had said that he wanted to miss, miss some chances. But this guy's been a fantastic addition. And, uh, you know, I don't think we've ever had a strike pair that could be the quality of Earnshaw and Covermans and two players that could really complement each other as well as they do. Yeah, so I, I totally agree. I think that pretty much wraps it up. I think we'll finish it here, Steve, because I know you got to run and uh, we got to get this all, all put together and put online. So, you know, with that, you're on at Botcher RNO. Botcher RNO, yes. Botcher RNO on my Twitter. Twitter handle. And uh, he won't be putting out his phone number. But, anyways, you can catch him there. Clark's, I'm Clark at Clark RNO. And uh, for Eastside Stand Up, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next weekend against New York Rangers. Thanks for listening. Catch you. Eastside Stand Up is the only Toronto C-specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to be involved. Reach out to us on Twitter through hashtag ESSU or at Red Nation Online. You can email us at Have Your Say at Red Nation Online or info at Red Nation Online. Get into the discussion on Toronto FC through Eastside Stand Up and Red Nation Online. Stand